This is what the word of the Lord says. I'm in Luke 16, 19 through 31. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off. And Lazarus at his side, and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. That is what the word of the Lord says. Appreciate uh, Kelly reading that passage for us. Keep in mind, Jesus has just three months of ministry left. Uh, His time here on this earth is winding down at this point. Everything that he says and everything that he does is with a purpose. If you look at this passage, the context of it, he is speaking to his disciples and the Pharisees are listening in. Verse 14 says, the religious teachers who loved money were sneering at him. And the reason they were sneering at him is because his words were hitting them so hard, and yet they're not accepting that word into their heart. And they're not letting that word change them. And so rather than than that, they are putting up their defenses And they are sneering at him. The ESV says that they ridiculed him. The New American Standard says that they were scoffing at him. The message, which is a paraphrase, this is how it treats verse 14 of Luke 16. When the Pharisees, a money-obsessed bunch... Now keep in mind, these are the religious leaders. These are the teachers of the law. and, And they are being referred... To by Luke as a money-obsessed bunch, when they heard Jesus say these things, 
they rolled their eyes, dismissing him as hopelessly out of touch. And these guys were not willing to open their hearts and their ears to Jesus. They were smarter than Jesus was, they thought. They knew more than what Jesus knew, they thought. So as he talked, they sneered. And the truth that he was speaking to them was just going right over their head. I hope and pray that you and I have a better response to the word of God than that. May our hearts be open to his word. May our ears be open. May our minds be attentive. Whether it's the written word or the spoken word, this word can change us if we are open to it. It can change us for the good. I want to ask you, anybody here this morning need changed by this book? Let me see your hands. Every hand should go up. Would you bow your head right now, please, and just pray to God? And say, God, would you help me to have an ear for your word today. Would you help me to have my heart open to your word today? Father, do help us. Thank you that you have spoken to us through your word. Thank you that you have made your word available to us. Help us to hear it. Help us to be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Most Bibles that I looked at this last week had that heading over this passage of Scripture, the rich man and Lazarus. And I noticed as Kelly read this morning that she had that on her phone as she was reading that Scripture. That was the heading over this passage of Scripture. It's figured to be a parable there was a rich man in this story and there was a poor man the rich man is not named he is simply described in this text as one who was rich he was dressed in fine clothes he's wearing the latest fashions he's mr gq of his day he is well fed he is eating the finest foods he is living in luxury Every day, the text says. And what that simply means is this. He was living a life of ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. That was his theme song. Life was a party to this fella. And he was enjoying the ride. From a worldly standpoint, this fellow had it made. He would have been the envy of everyone around him. He was rich. He had it all. But as we get further into the text, we see that this one who looked like the winner was really the loser. The second fellow in the story is actually given a name. His name is Lazarus. Interesting, the name Lazarus means God helps. But as you read the story, at first glance, it doesn't seem like God is helping him all that much. Lazarus is described as a poor man. He was a beggar. He was destitute. We, he, he must have been lame because it says that every day he, laid, he was laid at his gate. 
And so every day, somebodies, probably several somebodies, had to carry Lazarus to this gate where he would lay all day long and beg people for help. And the text says that he was hungry. He longed for the crumbs to fall off of the rich man's table that he might have something to eat. And that's not all about Lazarus in this text. Lazarus had sores all over his body. Maybe bed sores. The the original language indicates ulcerated sores. And, And dogs were coming and licking his sores. And these are dogs from the street that are dirty and wild. And they are licking and they are snipping at his sores. It was a very hard life for Lazarus. A very undesirable life for him. He appears in the story to be the real loser. But the rest of the story tells us differently. Verse 22 tells us that both men died. It doesn't surprise us that Lazarus died. That seemed to be inevitable for him. He had his fair share of health issues. But what gets our attention in the story is that the rich man died too. And it's a reminder to us that this is the fate of every man. Whether you are rich or poor, it doesn't matter. Every man and every woman will one day reach that point where they pass from this earth and they will leave behind all of their earthly goods and they will stand before God and they will give an account to Him for their life. It was true for Lazarus. It was also true for the rich man. And one commentary that I was looking at in preparation for this sermon is, was saying this was the great reversal. Lazarus, who didn't seem to have anything to his name in this life, all of a sudden had everything. He became a winner. He got heaven. And the rich man, who was the so-called winner here, became the loser. I will tell you, though, it doesn't have anything to do with whether they were rich or poor here. It has everything to do with who they had put their faith in or what they had put their faith in. The rich man had put his faith in his riches and in himself. And that wasn't enough to get him to heaven. Lazarus, on the other hand, though, had put his faith in God. And in the end, he found that to be everything that he needed. It was enough. And there are some lessons that we can learn from this parable. I want us to look at them this morning. First of all, we must be prepared for eternity. Only a fool would not prepare himself for eternity. The rich man was a fool. He was living his life for the here and now, not understanding that the here and now is a very short time compared to eternity. Did a little looking on the internet this last week. I found that the moon's distance from the earth is 230,000 600 miles. Keep that figure in your mind. That's a pretty fair distance, isn't it? Now, you think about that. 230,600 miles. Most of us don't have a car 
that has driven that many miles in its lifetime. Most of us. Now, for Tim, that's just about a week's running distance, isn't it? But our cars don't make it that far. But let's think about that distance for a moment. 230,000 miles, 600, that represents eternity. Our life here on this earth is represented by one step towards the moon. You seeing the difference? That's the contrast between our life here and eternity. One step here towards the moon represents our life here on this earth. The distance from here to the moon represents eternity. But really, that's, that's not even a good contrast because eternity cannot be, be measured. From here to the moon can be measured. So really, if we're wanting to get it right, that distance from here to the moon, that line, that 230,600 miles, once you get there, there needs to be an arrow on the end of that line because that, that time of eternity goes on and on and on. There is no end. It doesn't stop. It doesn't have any ending point whatsoever. Eternity cannot be measured. And our life here on this earth can be measured. It's just one step. James says our life here is like grass that fades away. We're like a vapor that's here for a moment and then it's gone. Just a few days ago, there was a very cool morning. And if you were out in that early morning air, I, I think probably if you would have blown your your breath into the air, you could have seen it and just for a moment you would have seen it and then it would have been gone. That's how long our life on this earth is in comparison to eternity. It's just a vapor that is here for a moment and then it's gone. The psalmist says that our life is like a hand breath. From the tip of the thumb to the tip of the, the little finger, that's a hand breath. And the psalmist says that's how long our life is here on this earth. It's such a short, short time. And how we live our life from here to there determines where we spend all eternity at. Who we put our trust in. And that short span of time determines where we spend eternity at. You put your trust in yourself and in your riches like the rich man in this story did, then you will get what he got. And what he got was not good if you read the rest of the story. On the other hand, if you put your trust in God and you live for God as Lazarus did in this story, then you are going to get what Lazarus got and it's going to be oh so good. I just want to encourage you as you are here on this earth for such a short time that you not waste your years. Don't spend all of your time investing into this life and fail to invest in the life to come. That would be so foolish and tragic. Determine to be prepared for eternity by living and trusting in Jesus. Put your hope in Him. 
Put your trust in Him for your salvation and for your peace of mind as you go through the trials of this life. The, the short time that you live here for Him will bring to you an eternal inheritance that is beyond description. That leads me to the second point. Heaven and hell are real. And this parable teaches us that point very clearly. Both of these men died. But they really weren't dead. They just moved into a different realm of living. They moved into their eternal dwelling. Now, we could get bogged down into talking about, you know, do we go to heaven or hell immediately? Or is there a place called Hades, which is a waiting place for the dead? It does seem like in this passage, certainly, there was such a place. But you remember Luke 16, where we are at today, is before Jesus died and before he raised from the dead. It's the time before he set the captives free, as it talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3. What, what, we, what we know is very clear in this passage is that when we die, we go to one of two places. We go to a place of reward or we go to a place of torment. That's what we know is real from this passage of Scripture. Heaven and earth are very real. And the rest of Scripture supports that quite well. In this text, Lazarus went to a good place. It was a place of comfort. It was a place where all the wrongs are made right. No longer was Lazarus poverty-stricken. No longer was he lame and stricken with sores. No longer was he hungry and begging for mercy. No longer was he feeling alone. Now, he was in a place where the rich man was envious of him. You see, this was indeed the great reversal. The rich man who had no faith was no longer rich. He had everything taken away from him and he became extremely poor and was suffering. The poor man, on the other hand, who did have faith was no longer poor. He became extremely rich because of the grace of God that was being lavished upon him. I love the scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, No eye has seen no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Think about that. You can't even begin to imagine what heaven's like and how good it is. I tried this last week to think about what heaven must be like, to come up with some words that I might say to you this morning that would describe what heaven is is like, but it's beyond words. It's better than the snow-covered Rocky Mountains amidst a clear blue sky. We were out there uh, in March, several of us, on a ski trip, and it is just absolutely beautiful as you're in those mountains and they're covered with snow and the sky doesn't have a cloud in it and it's just 
breathtaking. But that doesn't even begin to describe for us what heaven is going to be in all of its beauty. And you can think of the places that you've been in this earth and and the places that are beautiful and and that doesn't even hold a candle to what heaven is going to be. In my mind, it's better than the lakes of Minnesota amidst the fall colors. It's better than a Kansas sunset. It's better than the Oregon coast as as the waves come crashing in against the rocks. It's better, it's more beautiful than anything we have ever seen or can imagine. It's better than the joy of a newborn baby. It's better than the embrace of the one that we love. It's better than the satisfaction that we feel when we have done a job and we've done it well. It's better than a surprise when your kids come home and you didn't know it was going to happen. That happened last, last Sunday for my wife, Mother's Day. She knew the two girls were going to be here. Jonathan, he was planning to come home and he, he surprised her and she was happy. Heaven's way better than that. Way better. Because, see, Jonathan went home in a day or two. And then she stuck with me again. (laughs) (laughs) Heaven's, Heaven's just so perfect. It's so wonderful. It's, It's better than being out in the woods in an early morning when the sun comes up and you're there and all those creatures of the woods don't know you're there and you're hearing the sounds come alive you're hearing the creatures come awake and and it's better than a than a 25 pound gobbler being across the field and you call it in and it comes right there in front of you it's better than that it's way better than that it's Perfect. How do you describe it? It's a place where love is perfect. It's a place where peace is perfect. It's a place where worship is perfect. It's a place where joy is perfect. And everybody there is perfect because there's no devil there and there's no sin there and there's no suffering there and no pain and no sickness and no death. There's no goodbyes. I was at a a graduation yesterday of my daughter. She'd been there for four years at Ozark Christian and she was saying goodbye to her friends and to her teachers and the people that she had grown to love and I could see. I remember what that was like. Goodbyes are hard. Heaven will have no more goodbyes. Heaven is a perfect place. How many of you want to go there? We all do. Jesus will be there. God will be there. The Holy Spirit will be there. The saints of old will be there. I pray that all of my family will be there. I pray the same for you, that all of your family will be there. What a place heaven is going to be. I hope none of you will miss it. You can can prepare to go there by making sure that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Now, those, those who neglect Him 
Those who refuse Him, those who ignore Him, will miss heaven. That's a guarantee. That's a promise of Scripture. Anyone who refuses Jesus, anyone who says no to Jesus, will not go to heaven. They will go to hell where the rich man went. Not because he was rich, but because he had refused to have faith in God. And hell is just as real as what heaven is real. And it's just as bad as what heaven is good. It's a place of torment, according to this passage. Let that sink in. A place of torment. It's a place of agony. All of this from Luke 16 that Kelly has read for us. It's a place where people will cry out for mercy and they will find none. They will cry for even a drop of water to cool cool their tongue. It's a place of fire. It's a place where we will be able to remember. What are we going to remember? We'll remember all the invitations that we sat through. We'll remember the sermons and the times that the preacher pleaded for us to come to Jesus. We will remember the songs that we sang in church. We will remember the different people being baptized, knowing in our mind, that could have been me. We'll remember the times that our wife cried tears over our soul. We'll remember a friend who witnessed to us over and over again, maybe even We sneered at them. We'll remember the times we said no to the grace of God. I hope that's not true of anyone here today. Hell is a very real place and it will last forever. I've read some materials of late where I've seen some names, some preachers, some authors who have signed on to this idea that hell is not forever. Hell is temporary. Hell is bad. They're not saying that. It's bad, but it's not forever. And what they're saying is God would never do that. God would not do that. And in our human way of thinking, that sounds reasonable and and I will admit to you God is God God can do whatever he wants to do but what I am responsible to present to you today from the scripture is that the Bible talks about an eternal lake of fire it talks about everlasting destruction it talks about eternal punishment so whatever hell is We don't want it. Everyone who lives life apart from Jesus will go there. Let me give to you one final point. We must help others prepare for eternity. Did you notice in this text, this story, that once the rich man was in hell, he became very concerned for his brothers. 
whom he knew would be joining him there if they didn't repent. And so what was it that he said to Abraham? He said, Abraham, would you send somebody to go to my brothers? Send somebody from heaven. Send Lazarus to go to my brothers and warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. All of a sudden, this guy has become soul conscious. He had never been soul conscious in his whole life until this point. You and I need to become soul conscious right now. Because your kids and your grandkids and your siblings and your nieces and your nephews, your parents, everyone whom you are in relationship with They all have a soul that one day will go to one of these two places. And we need to proclaim the good news of Jesus to them and try to take as many people with us to heaven as what we possibly can. You understand, your co-workers are destined for one of two places. Your classmates, your friends, your neighbors, your teammates... They all have souls, and they have an eternal destiny awaiting them. We must tell them about Jesus. And we must tell them with a sense of urgency. I remember it was probably a couple of years ago now. Down the road, very early morning hour, I think it was around... It was probably in the in the four o'clock hour. Uh, Maybe the five o'clock hour. I don't remember for sure, but our neighbor's house caught on fire. And Roger Cavan, who lives just on the other side of this neighbor, it was Dale Hickson's house, Dale and and, uh, Helen, or Dale and Betty Hickson, their house burned, and Roger lives just on the other side of them. He stepped out onto his porch and he realized that the neighbor's house was on fire. You know what he did? He ran to try and rouse them up out of bed. He was telling me this. Brent was telling me this later after it all happened. Roger knocked on the door. He's banging on the windows trying to rouse his neighbors out of bed. He's He's calling for his wife to call them on the telephone, call 911, call for help. There was a sense of urgency that Roger had. He was running. He was intentional. Turns out the neighbors weren't weren't home. But I'm thinking that sense of urgency that Roger had in that situation trying to help his neighbor is the same sense of urgency that we ought to have towards the lost. Their souls are in danger. We must do everything we can to save them from destruction that is awaiting them. We must help them find Jesus.
Father, help us to take seriously this message that you preached, that your son Jesus preached many years ago. Today it's been heard again. And there were ones in the audience, even as your son was preaching, that were sneering at him and scoffing at him and not taking him serious. May that not be true today. For we know it is serious. Help us to be ready. Help us to get others ready. And give us, Lord, a sense of urgency. In Jesus' name.